this weekend is not exactly what we were planning. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but this weekend at Hillside Community Church, this is when we are planning on celebrating our 40th anniversary. So happy anniversary, and it's a little bit different, right? Uh, just do this. If you're in a chat room, would you just write happy anniversary? If you're a room in a room with just some people, look at them and say happy anniversary. And some of you are like, I didn't even know it was our anniversary. Uh, we were planning on being in the Toyota arena and thousands of us being able to celebrate together, and yet here we are. And not exactly what we thought, and yet trying to make the most of it and remembering for, for some of you what 40 years means because some of you have been here for 40 years. Others of you are like, I've been here for 40 minutes, maybe, not even. And uh, there's all kinds of experiences, whether that's some of you are like old timers and you remember Chafee College, you remember a soapbox derby, you remember uh, our finest hour or you're newer and you don't remember much of anything, that's okay. I just want to just say thank you so much for, for uh, having this time together. I'm so glad to be with you, so glad to, to be able to join uh, you in this uh, last talk of one story at a time, that we really, really believe that, that God is about moving in our lives one person at a time, one story at a time, and also for the sake of our cities and our nation and our world. We just uh, sing these songs like, God so loved the world, and we remember his plans are great, his, his plans are incredible, and he invites us to be a part of that. And that's what this series is about. We, we've talked about our vision statement is that we want to see God's hope transform our cities one story at a time. We've talked about the first two of our mission strategies, that we want to be people who are experiencing God's love. We want to be people who are growing in community. And we want to be people who are, today we'll talk about, serving with compassion. But I'll be honest. Not that I haven't been honest before, but I'll be frank with you. I'll be upfront with you. In, as a pastor in pandemic, I get some questions the, the most frequently asked question that I get when I run into people, maybe it's at a, a grocery store and we've got our masks on or, or, or whatever, is when are we going to open? Well, that's a question. But what if it's not the best question? What if it's not the question that should be the first question? And so we've been talking about when it comes to experiencing God's love, we need to be people who are uh, currently experiencing God's overflowing, faithful love. Not talking about sometime way back when, when we encountered God's love five years, 10 years, 20 years ago, but like right here, right now, in the midst of this moment, we're experiencing God's love, but we're also offering God's love to a world who needs to know about it. So how are you experiencing God's love? How am I experiencing God's love? That's a great question. We, we talk about growing in community and that we're not supposed to just be a part of a crowd. We're supposed to belong and, and become who God wants us to be in relationship with others. A growing spiritual community. Not a superficial community. Not an unspiritual community. But a spiritual community growing together. So that's a question. How are you growing in community with others? How, how am I growing in community with others? And then today, serving with compassion to understand that we have gifts, talents, opportunities to join God in his work, but, but our hearts need to be aligned with his heart. And so, like, the question could be, how are you serving others out of the compassion that God has? So it's replacing a when question. When are we going to open or when are we going to meet with three how questions? Because 
here's what I just want to say. We never closed. The, the work of God has been going on through churches across the world, and pandemic can never stop that. Amen? That's good news. It's not confined to a building or an hour on a Sunday. God is always at work, and he's always inviting us to join him in his work. If you have a Bible, grab it, turn to Mark chapter 6. If you have a smartphone or a tablet, I would love for you to follow along. And if you don't, uh, that's okay, we'll have the verses on the screen. But I want to uh, lead you through this passage in Mark 6 that I think is just so foundational to who we want to be, who I want to be as a person, who I want to be as a, a father, a husband, a pastor, a friend, who I think we as a church want to be. So when you get to Mark chapter 6, uh, starting around verse 6 and verse 7, Jesus is, is, is calling out the 12 disciples. And so in verse 7, Mark writes these words. Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. That word, send them out, is really important. It's the word that we get in English, the word apostle from. It's apostle, apostle sent out ones, sent on a mission and disciples. Jesus sends his 12 disciples out with purpose, with a mission. It's specifically here stated as giving them authority over impure spirits. They go out. Jesus says, listen, don't take any bread. Don't take any money. Don't take any bags. I'm going to provide for you. Others, as you journey, will provide for you. And they do that. And they preach that people should repent and people repent. And they drive out demons and anoint sick people with oil and Sick people are healed and there's miracles and there's wonders and there's the gospel is going forth through the disciples. Starting in verse 14, we, we read this story about King Herod, a, a vicious ruler. Uh, I'll, I'll make a long story short. He has John the Baptist beheaded, like a friend, a, a cousin of Jesus, a, a friend of these apostles. And so they're, they're busy uh, they're doing ministry, they're tired, now they're grieving the loss of one of their friends in the midst of a cruel empire. And you get to verse 30, and we're told by Mark, the apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. They give Jesus an update of how they went out, and they took Jesus' words, and they taught them how they performed miracles, how they took the Old Testament and explained uh, what they knew of how Jesus was fulfilling that. Verse 31, Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. See, Jesus noticed his disciples were tired. Jesus noticed that they had been busy, they had been doing work, and they had now gotten some really devastating news, and they needed some space. See, Jesus knows when we're tired, knows when we need a break, and very often, even Jesus himself, he would withdraw from the crowds. He would withdraw from the, the doing of miracles and the teaching to rest and to refresh. And these were always times marked by prayer, and Jesus sees his disciples are weary, and he sees that they're burdened, and he's like, come on, let's, let's go. Let's get into a boat, and let's go find some rest. Let's, let's, let's go get uh, some refreshment, and let's pray together because we need that so desperately. Look at verse 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. 
So the crowds saw Jesus. They, they saw his disciples. They knew who they were. And, and they take off running as they see this boat launch out into the water. And they run so fast, they beat the boat to the shore to where they're headed. Verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. Now, this is an interesting part of the passage where we really want to slow down here. And, and, and as Jesus sees this crowd, and, and literally, we're going to find out, it's thousands of people. There are thousands of people who are after Jesus' time, after his attention, want to hear him teach, want to see him do miracles. The disciples are with him. Jesus sees this crowd. Even as he's on a, 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 a time of trying to withdraw and get some rest, he sees them, and here's how his response is described by Mark. When he saw them, he had compassion on them. It, it literally be, means to be moved with compassion. Here's what scholars tell us. The word that uh, Mark and other uh, apostles use about compassion here, the word that they use is a word, I love this personally, they made it up, they made up a word. They saw the compassion in Jesus. They saw his eyes and how he looked. They, they, they got a glimpse of his heart and how he broke. And they looked in the Greek language and there was not a word to summarize anywhere what was going on. And so they made up a word. It's only used about 12 times in the New Testament. Every time it's used, it's used for Jesus. It's unique to him. He was moved with compassion. I personally love this word. It's one of my favorite Greek words. It's splagnizomai. Would you just say that with me? It's just fun. Splagnizomai. That's good. Very good. Splagnizomai. Jesus was moved with compassion. It's not just sympathy. It's not just empathy. It, it is that, but it, it means you're churning. Your, your heart, your soul is being moved on behalf of someone else, but then move to action as well. It's not just feelings apart from action. It's the kind of movement that moves us into action. Splagnizomai. Jesus has compassion. See, we get a glimpse of Jesus, uh, but, but we get a glimpse of God in the fullness, in, in how he sees our needs. He sees our hurts. He sees our addictions. He sees the sin in our lives. He sees the, the wounds because a friend betrayed us. He sees our fears in regards to finances. He sees our frustrations in regards to a pandemic, and he has compassion on us. Anybody grateful that Jesus has compassion on us? I need a lot of compassion. We need the compassion to be moved, and, and Jesus is moved with perfect understanding and perfect sympathy. And I just have to make a confession, that's not always my response. I'm not always a compassionate person, and I long for more of his compassion to mark me. But why is he moved with compassion? Because the, the people are like sheep without a shepherd. See, that's a metaphor that in their day made perfect sense. There were lots of shepherds. There were, there were lots of sheep. And any time there were sheep without a shepherd, there was trouble. They were wandering around. They were lost. They were confused, in some ways defenseless. And Jesus says they're like sheep without a shepherd. Maybe a modern example, they're like children without parents. They're like children on the play place at McDonald's with no parents to be found. Chaos, right? They're like... Students without a teacher. They're like students on Zoom when the teacher can't figure out how to get on there. Or vice versa. Teachers on Zoom when the students aren't there. Like, there's a connection missing. They're like the Lakers without LeBron. 
Can I get an amen? Yeah, just not a pretty sight. They're not going anywhere. They're like humans without hope. Jesus sees and understands every hurt and every need, and his heart breaks with compassion. Look with me at verse 35. By this time it was late in the day, and so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside. Did you get that word? Send the people away. We'll get back to that. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Here's how the disciples approach Jesus. And, and, and my fear is sometimes this is how we approach Jesus. We approach not asking but assuming we, we approach telling him what he should do versus saying, what are you up to? And the disciples say, here's what you need to do, Jesus. We got a plan. Send them away. Now, that word in the Greek, send, is very similar to the first time we saw the word send, where Jesus sent out his disciples for ministry and for mission to be moved with compassion. The disciples say, hey, you see all these people? Send them away. But that was not out of ministry or mission or compassion. It was because the people were the obstacle. And Jesus is like, but maybe they're the opportunity. See, when Jesus saw the people, he changed his plans. Because his heart was moved with compassion. The plan was to go get some time to be away with the disciples for a retreat, refreshing, prayer, renewal. But the people followed, and so they changed their plans to meet the needs of the people. When the disciples saw the needy people, they just said, let's get rid of the problem. Send them away. They didn't ask Jesus, what's your plan? What, what would you want to do in this moment? And they miss a moment, or they're about to miss a moment. They're, they're about to miss an opportunity Jesus has right before them. And I don't know about you, but sometimes life is this combination of sometimes I seize the moment, sometimes I miss the moment. I, I've heard these beautiful stories in, from the earliest days of, of, of our pandemic that people would notice maybe a neighbor was really uh, isolating because of health reasons. And, and they just reached out, is there anything I could do for you? And the neighbor's like, yeah, I just, I don't even know how to get groceries in this season. I just don't want to risk going out. And I've heard of neighbors saying, text me your list of grocery items, I'll go to the store for you. They, they saw the need, they, they knew they could do something about it, and they got involved. I've, I've heard stories of people saying, like, I just saw this person in line at the grocery store, in line to get a coffee, whatever, maybe in a car behind me, and I just decided, they look like they're having a rough day, I just paid for their bill. I just said, hey, put that on my tab. I've heard those kind of sort of simple everyday stories, and I, I've heard the big stories and been reminded that, you know, Don Rogers, who, who started Empowering Lives International, went on a mission trip to Africa many years ago, and what he saw broke his heart. And he said, somebody's got to do something about this. And, and he moved and helped start Empowering Lives International because his heart was moved with compassion, and he wanted these men and women to, to have dignity and to be trained with skills where they could earn a living for themselves, and that they could hear the good news of Jesus and see their lives transformed, and he did that, and their ministry has been phenomenal, and out of that ministry, a, a young lady named Julie McGowan 
begin to see that there are, when the AIDS epidemic came, that there were all of these fears and all of these uncertainties regarded uh, about the AIDS epidemic. There were, um, there were things that people were afraid of that, 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 that just weren't true. And so as a nurse, she stepped into these moments and tried to love and serve like Jesus loved and served. And, and out of that, she started Living Room International a hospice that now has rehabilitation and hospital elements and gives the hope of Jesus to people in desperate times of need. Our partners in India, Harvest India, we, we sent a team over there a few years ago, and I just loved this story. They, they, were, they were doing ministry at this one place, but they, they saw, even as they were doing ministry, there were some people being neglected, some, some elderly men and women. And they said, somebody's got to do something about that. And so they just started conspiring together. What can we do? How can we help? Can we raise up some money? Can we do something? And we partnered as a church with this small group, uh, this team that went and, 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 and started another elderly home to care for those because somebody saw and somebody was moved with compassion. And in all of these instances, it starts with seeing, but then a question has to be asked, like, who's going to do something? And how are they going to do something about this? But we've got to see first, the disciples didn't see the need. And so they simply say, Jesus, send the people away. Send them away. Like, get them out of here and they can fend for themselves. But look at Jesus' response in verse 37. He answered, no, no, no. You give them something to eat. They said to him, puzzled, I don't know. Confused, I don't know. Angry, I don't know. That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? The disciples were puzzled. They're, they're thinking, we don't have the resources. There's thousands of people. And again, they're not asking uh, clarifying questions. They're, they're lofting up to Jesus objection kinds of questions that are sort of like, there, there's no way we can do this. So I love that Jesus answers their question with another question. Jesus always asks these questions that get to the heart of the issue. They get a little deeper. Verse 38, Jesus asks, how many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. Jesus' first question is, what do you have? And so uh, we read John chapter 6, another example of this story, and we find out as they go through the crowd, what they realize is there's only one person who brought their bag lunch that day. And it wasn't any of the disciples. The disciples were just as unprepared as all the people. But there's a little boy whose mom packed him a bag for the day. And because she was uh, very... Uh, Keenly aware of uh, social distancing norms and cleanliness, she packed the sanitizer too. She packed some bread, but because of uh, all of her Zoom calls and working virtually, she did shortbread instead of loaves of bread. And then she also packed two little fish for the journey. And the disciples are like, that's all we got. But Jesus is like, but you have that. And Jesus always starts with what we already have. He wants us to acknowledge and know 
What do we have in our hands? Not so that it will limit us, but that we would have a reality of what we have so that we could still then trust in what he can do. He's not limited by what we have in our hands. And so he says, what do you have? And they say, we have five loaves, two fish. That's all we have. And they're saying it like, see, we can't do it. And Jesus is like, see what I'm getting ready to do. He's preparing them for a miracle. He's preparing them for his power. He's inviting them into what he and only he can do. It always starts with what we have. I think this is sort of where that concept of if you can be entrusted with little, then you can be entrusted with more. But if you can't be entrusted with little, why would you be entrusted with more? What do you have in your hands? Five loaves, two fish. So, then Jesus, verse 39, directed them to have all of the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they're taking all these people and they're having them sit down on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. They're sort of divisions. They're sectioning them off. They're creating aisles and rows of people in the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and then he gave it to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also, don't forget the fish, he also divided the two fish among them all. And they're like, thanks a lot for all the fish. Here's literally what's happening as as Jesus takes the food from them. This is really important. There's little attention given to it, but it's really important. Jesus prays over the little. He lifts it up to heaven and he prays, thanking God for the little, thanking God for the provision. And, And the disciples are like, why is he thanking God for the provision? It's not enough. But there's this old song I remember, little is much when God is in it. And God is all over this moment. And so Jesus thanks, then he takes the bread, then he breaks it. And here's what happens as he prays. Nothing. The miracle doesn't happen as Jesus is praying. Jesus takes one thing of bread and he hands it out. He gives it to the next disciple, the next disciple, the next disciple. The miracle doesn't happen in Jesus' hands. The miracle happens in the hands of the disciples as they take a little and they go to one person. They're like, I'm going to run out after one person. And they're like, whoa, there's more to give. And they give to another and they're like, I must be done. And they realize there's still more to give. And they give to another and they think I'm finished. And they look and there's still more to give. That's amazing. The miracle happens in the hands of the disciples. As they do what Jesus asks them to do. As they follow Jesus step by step. I I thought for so much of my life that this whole passage was about bread and fish and food being multiplied. Can I just tell you, it's not about that. This passage is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus sees our needs. Jesus' heart is moved with compassion. And Jesus is able to provide what we need. It's all about Jesus. Bread and fish, they're just a physical symbol of a deeper reality of what God wants to do through Jesus in our lives by meeting all of our needs. Look at verse 42. As they pass out this fish, they pass out this bread, it keeps on multiplying. They all ate and were, what's the word? Satisfied. 
Again, it speaks to the deeper longings of our life and of our heart and of our soul that only Jesus can satisfy. It's about more than food. It's about our spiritual needs as well. They all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. That doesn't represent the women and children. There's 5,000 men who are impacted, and women, and children, and on and on and on. Jesus satisfied. But, but I, I don't want you to get beyond this. Yes, it is all about Jesus, but it's also about the invitation Jesus gives to us to be a part of his work. I, I, I first read this from C.S. Lewis, but he's quoting Blaise Pascal, talking about God's invitation for us. If you Remember anything about school? Pascal was a French mathematician and physicist and an inventor. And he talks about how we are able to participate with God. This is what Pascal writes. That God allows the soil and weather and animals, muscles, minds, and the will of people to cooperate. To cooperate, cooperate in execution of his will. God instituted prayer in order to lend his creatures, I love this, the dignity of causality. The dignity of causality. But not only prayer, whenever we act at all, he lends us that dignity. So that through our actions as we follow Jesus, through our prayers as we follow Jesus, through our words and our deeds, there's a dignity of causality. We get to participate with God in his work. So so listen. This is the last phrase. For he seems to do nothing. God seems to do nothing of himself, which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. If Jesus wanted to feed 5,000 plus all by himself, you know what he would have done? Food. And there would have been more bread and more fish than you can imagine. But he wanted his disciples to participate, to cooperate with him. What Pascal says, to give the dignity of causality, dignity in our work, dignity in purpose and meaning and significance. And so Jesus gives to the disciples and multiplies his mission in their hands. See, some people are so focused on the past the good, the bad, the the thing that's holding us back way back in the past or the thing that defined us way back when. They're so preoccupied by the past. Others are, are so focused on the future. Well, when I get to this point or at this time in life, finally I'll arrive, then I will whatever. And both the past and both the future can cause us to miss the miracle of the moment, the provision of right now, And you and I, we are where we are right here, right now for a purpose. And God is up to something. The question is, what is he up to and how do we join him? Right here, right now. And you can say, yeah, but Aaron, you don't know what my right here, right now looks like. Well, I can tell you, we're all in a pandemic, so none of it's great. And yet, 
God is still wanting to show himself strong and faithful. And, and to the point of what we're talking about, he sees, he knows, he cares, his heart is moved with compassion, and he's still at work. And he's still a God like Paul prays in Ephesians 3, who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or imagine. Can we get an amen on that one? God is able to do more than you ask, more than you imagine. He is faithful. And the disciples have this miracle that is happening in their hands. And everybody eats and everybody's satisfied. And, and the disciples leave with 12 basketfuls. It's like Oprah style. You get a basketful. You get a basketful. There's leftovers for everyone. And it's like they showed up with one bag and they all leave with a basket of leftovers. Because Jesus is saying, I am able to meet all of your needs and beyond the needs of others too. And he loves to meet the needs of others through his people that he's already met their needs. He loves his compassion to overflow from our hearts to other people. But this is just something that the disciples don't get always, we don't always get, I don't always get. We lose focus so easily. So as soon as this miracle takes place, as soon as they load up the basketfuls of leftovers, we're told immediately they get into the boat. The disciples get in the boat and they take off. Jesus goes up on a mountain by himself to pray. There's a strong wind, so the disciples are having trouble getting through the, uh, the storm, the wind on the, on the lake. And so Jesus comes to them. And, and by coming to them, I mean he's literally walking on the water. Verse 49, it says, When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. He's like, I'm with you. It's me, Jesus. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. They're completely amazed. But don't miss the last verse. For they had not understood about the loaves. They had not understood about the loaves. Why? For their hearts were hardened. That word for hardened means the, their hearts were calloused. It literally can mean, and I love this picture, their hearts were blind. And Jesus is trying to say, I want you to see like I see. Your need, the needs of others. I want your heart to be soft, filled with compassion, like my heart is filled with compassion. And the disciples, and me sometimes, and you sometimes, if we're being honest, sometimes our hearts are blind. And Jesus wants to transform our hearts. He wants to take our eyes off of ourselves and our personal preferences and us demanding our own rights and our own ways. And he wants to say, I want you to see the needs around you, the opportunity around you. I want your heart to break for the ones that break my heart. And I want you to join me in a, in a mission that's bigger than you. It's a, it's a mission of experiencing his love in a tangible, real way. Not talking about experiences we had 20 or 30 years ago, but fresh ways, fresh encounters with God's amazing love, uh, growing community with other people who are 
helping us be more like Jesus, love more like Jesus. We're, we're finding connection with others. It's not about being a part of a crowd. It's about becoming who Jesus wants us to be in community with others. And it's about serving with compassion, having our hearts filled uh, and, and breaking about what breaks his heart so that we go out and we use the gifts and the talents that we have. And, but if we're not careful so often, we're like, I just don't have much to offer. I just don't have anything to give. And maybe Jesus is saying, but what's in your hand? And maybe Jesus is saying, and what's in your heart? Will you trust me with that? Because I just want to tell you, I want to remind you, God is at work all over this world, and no pandemic can ever stop that. And nothing that comes against us can stop that. And God is on the move, and we're, we're even able to see that in, in different ways from different groups, but also one story at a time, God is moving. One story at a time, God is transforming beyond anything that we could even understand. And on March 12th, when a group of us who were in leadership gathered around and started praying, God, what are we supposed to do? Things are not looking good. This was hours before the NBA called off their season temporarily. And I thought if the NBA shutting down, we're all shutting down. Life isn't worth living. I'm kidding. What do we do? And we realized we needed to go online and virtual in a moment. We had no idea what that meant, but we had a team of technical people around here, thankfully way smarter than me. They figured it out. They made it happen. And we thought we were going to care for the people of Hillside here in our local community, not knowing God wanted to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine one story at a time. And we have a story to share about that exact thing. Watch with me. This is Kyle's story. you've done this you'll never go anywhere you fail at everything you never complete anything that you start you know it, it comes to a point when people tell you you're, you're a certain way you start to start to believe it and I was just like a, a miserable person I was completely miserable I ended up doing methamphetamine ecstasy all those things by the age of 15 um, unfortunately my parents had to see that and they had to deal with it throughout the entire adolescent age. The last time I spoke to my dad, I slammed a door in his face, went into work, and then he died the next morning in a fishing boat accident. After my dad passed away, I was incredibly angry with God. Ended up drinking a bunch, I got a DUI at the age of 21. I ended up going to jail three more times. My anger started growing. At the age of 30, I was given a marijuana dispensary in Los Angeles, literally handed to me. Two of my best friends that I've known my entire life, they ended up embezzling $100,750. Uh, my trust, I had insane trust issues, didn't trust anybody, didn't trust my girlfriend. I had so much anxiety, and I had, I can't express how much anger I had. It didn't take much to, to, to really get at me. Then I came out here, Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, November of 2019, I found out that I, on a one night stand, had conceived my daughter and I did not want to I did not honestly I did not want to keep the child um, I didn't even think I wanted to be around for the child I was considering suicide so then I started reaching out to a very close friend back at home 
her and I were talking and she could just hear how angry I was. She was like, Kyle, you sound really angry, uh, resentful. Do you want to watch a sermon with me over at Hillside on Good Friday tomorrow? And I was like, sure, why not? What do I have to lose? We watched together online. I, I was angry at God, but to be able to see what Jesus went through on his way to the cross. And the last thing he says before he dies is, please God forgive them for they not know what they do. The next Sunday, I ended up watching another sermon. And after the sermon, they put out something that texts this phone number, if you believe. Before my dad passed away, he saw his son drop out of high school, create a drug addiction, and then his son ended up hating him up until his death. I, did, I carried around that burden of knowing exactly what I did for the next 16 years of my life. And that was horrible. It, it was a burden that I carried for long enough and that was my opportunity. So Jeff reaches out to me, Pastor Jeff, Hey dude, what's up? Hey, this is Jeff. And then right after that, we just kind of created a relationship. We talk almost every single week and he was super loving to me and kind. And that, that for somebody with my background, being able to understand that I have been forgiven for all of my mistakes, simply put mistakes, you don't have to beat yourself up anymore and you could actually be loving towards other people again. I was able to let go of all of that and that lifted this weight off my shoulders I have already been forgiven. <laughs> I asked Pastor Jeff to baptize me. This is me turning a page into, into the next chapter, showing my commitment to God and to my daughter my dad was there for me every step of the way, regardless of how much of a knucklehead I was, and she deserves to have a father. I've never once, since turning my will and my life over to God, stepped inside of a brick and mortar church. I have a core group of friends. I also have a Bible study group that we do once every single Friday. It's as simple as just creating a loving relationship with God and doing the right thing in every moment in the way that God's eyes would see. And that's the most beautiful thing about this entire process. What a story. And Kyle, how grateful we are that you would share your story with us. And God, how thankful we are that you offer a loving relationship with us. As Kyle said, it's, it's as simple as it starts with a loving relationship. That's why we exist, to experience God's love. And, and maybe you would say, I've never experienced God's love. I, 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 I just don't even know what that means, but, but I know I need it. I, I long for God. Maybe you would say, today is a day that I just feel ready to say, I believe. I, I feel ready to say, God, I need you. I feel ready to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Like, you're ready for what the Bible calls salvation. That, that start of this new relationship that Kyle just talked about. We would love to help lead you on that journey, point you to Jesus. And you can do exactly what Kyle did. You can text to 94,000. Text to 94,000 this word, believe now. People have been doing this today already. We're so grateful for that. But if, if you would say, I need you, Jesus. I want to give you my life. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait any longer. Text that in now to experience God's love. He loves you so much.
He sent Jesus on a rescue mission for us. Some of us need to be reminded, we've heard that over and over again, but we need to be reminded today in the midst of our own crisis of faith or in the midst of our own struggles, God is madly in love with you. He's not against you. He's for you. And life in God's love is also best experienced in community with other people, a growing community of people who are being real and and, and being generous and, and serving God with their gifts and talents together and and God wants you to be a part of that and God wants you to serve others with compassion to see them like he sees to have compassion uh, a soft heart like he has and I love this passage where Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he says I I see and and moved with compassion because the they're helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd and he says the harvest is ripe to harvest but the workers are few and he tells us to pray And in this specific moment, he doesn't tell us to pray for the sheep who are harassed. He doesn't tell us to pray for the opportunity. He tells us very specifically, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And some of us, it's time to get to work. We've sat around far too long. We say all day long, I know his love. I have community. He's filled me with compassion. Now it's time to do something with it. To say, God, open my eyes to see others like you see. Fill my heart with compassion. Break my heart with compassion that I would love and serve others like you have loved and served me. And we need to just start calling out, God, help me. We don't want to waste this moment. We don't want to waste our suffering. We don't want to waste what we see. It may be that we would say, I give you my little, the little that I have, I offer it to you. And in your hands, God, I give you my time, I give you this talent, I give you my life, have your way. We pray with me, God, we need you desperately. We, we need you, God, because each of us have our own hurts. Each of us have our own areas we need healing. Each of us, if we're not careful, can get our eyes focused on ourselves Each of us can demand our rights and that our preferences would be achieved, but we could miss the moment before us to serve and to love like you have served and loved us. Fill us with your compassion. Give us your eyes to see. And so I just want to say thank you that you have treated us with such great compassion. You have loved us with such unconditional love. You've been so gracious to us. Now may we go and do likewise for the sake of others and serve with your compassion a world filled with hurts and needs. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.